Proverbs. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. To have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. Even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. He who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Like a bird that strays from his nest is a man who strays from his home. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. This is God's word. Did you enjoy some of those? At the same time as a, 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 a wry smile, there's a sort of ouch involved in reading some of these proverbs on family. For those that don't know me, I'm Simon Pedley, one of the, the ministers here. It's lovely to uh, see all of you this morning. A, a special welcome if you're guests amongst us here at Christchurch Mayfair. And we are uh, working through proverbs and looking at proverbs on family this morning. So let me pray for us as we look at these verses together. Heavenly Father, this very varied book of Proverbs is an intriguing and uh, deeply practical part of your word. 
Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand these Proverbs we've just read rightly. Help us not to mistake them, get them out of context. Help us to bow our knee before them because of where they come from, because they are your words to us. And we pray that you would challenge each of us at just the points where we need to be challenged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, God speaks to us about families. You've got uh, a little handout on the back of your service sheet and those proverbs that we've just had read. It would be great to have both of those in hand as we go through. And as I said, we've been working our way systematically, uh, thematically through the book of Proverbs, uh, selecting sayings each week gathered around particular topics. And this week it's family. And as soon as you heard that this morning, I wonder if some of you here this morning uh, thought to yourselves, okay, this is for me. I'm, I'm a, a husband or a wife or a parent, and uh, I, I know that family life is complicated, and I often get it wrong, and I need help. But I, I guess others here this morning would immediately think, oh, uh, drats, this one's not for me. Um, I'm not in a family. And for some, uh, there may be sad reasons attached to that, uh, sadness about past families that uh, you've lost through bereavement or, or strained relationships, or family that you'd like to have but don't. Um, it's worth saying that elsewhere in the Bible, uh, singleness is spoken very, very highly of. It's definitely worth saying that. The many benefits singleness has in terms of lifestyle, the many potential troubles of family life that singleness avoids. Uh, Proverbs drops hints of some of those. Better to live by yourself in the desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife, and so on. Uh, The key place to see the Bible's positive view of singleness is uh, 1 Corinthians 7, if you're interested in that. But we're in Proverbs, and I'd I'd love to start by giving you five reasons why I think this is deeply relevant for every single person here this morning. Number one, if you've got any biological family at all, parents, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, uh, aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents, these proverbs will have important implications for all of those relationships. Number two, for some, uh, you're not married or with kids now, but you might be one day. Uh, if God chooses to lead in that direction. So listen up and store up the wisdom that God has here for you now. Number three, I think all of you should long to be able to give good advice to your married friends who might have children too. Believe me, we need it, speaking on behalf of married people and parents. Uh, You don't need to feel excluded from helping your married friends who might have kids, due to lack of personal experience. I've heard absolutely brilliant sermons on marriage and on parenting uh, from single ministers who are faithfully passing on what God says in Scripture rather than their own guesswork. So you, you can do that. It's a great thing if you do that. Four, uh, biological families need to be part of a wider community. And that includes all of you, all of us this morning. One of the things that Tree and I love about being in church with our our two kids is seeing other people spending time interacting with our children. It is brilliant for our kids to experience that, to interact with others, to learn things from some of you guys that they wouldn't be able to learn from us. Um, And of course, it's brilliant for exhausted parents uh, when somebody else takes the little boy or girl away for just a couple of precious minutes so we can have some adult conversation. That is great. Um, and five, 
All along this morning so far, we've been talking about the church being God's family, the household of God. We've been thinking about that through the service. If we're trusting Jesus, God has adopted every single one of us uh, who trusts in him into his household. And so as I look out across the congregation this morning, I don't just see acquaintances or friends even. In Christ, you guys are my family. You're my brothers and sisters. Some of you have been like parents to me, uh, giving me a bit of love, a bit of correction when that's been needed. Uh, And I've got more children here in church than just my two biological children. And I can hopefully be a good spiritual dad to lots of the kids. That's true of all of you, if you're members of a church. You're part of God's family, surrounded by parents and siblings and children. So I hope you're persuaded that whatever your family status at the moment, uh, biologically, on many levels, these Proverbs apply to every single one of us here this morning. So let's, with that in mind, explore these Proverbs on family. A quick word on how I selected the particular ones we've got on the sheet. In one sense, uh, there's barely a proverb in the whole book that's not intensely relevant to family life. And just about all the topics we've covered so far uh, need to be applied within a family. Uh, But rather than repeat material on love and wealth and speech and, and so on and so on, I thought, well, let's look at the verses that specifically mention parents and children or husbands and wives and see what Proverbs has to say. So uh, our two main headings are, number one, wisdom for parents and children. Number two, wisdom for husbands and wives. So let's dive in. First, wisdom for parents and children. And this is uh, the first bunch of Proverbs on the sheet above that uh, little dotted line that you've got there. I'm going to make three observations from Proverbs about parents and children. Here's the first one. Parenting is an emotional roller coaster. Just look at these proverbs, at the effect children can have on their parents. Chapter 10, verse 1. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. 1520. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. 1721. To have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. 1725, a foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. If you bring a child into the world, you are exposing yourself to intense emotions on both ends of the spectrum. It begins right at the beginning. But when a child is growing up or has grown up, then their words or or their behavior have the potential to fill a a mum or a dad with joy, heart-bursting joy, hearts brimming with loving, tender pride as they watch their precious son or daughter make their way in the world with wisdom, treating people with love and care and so on. Or that same child, their words and actions, have the potential to tear a parent's heart apart with grief, and bitterness. I can hardly imagine the anguish of watching your son or daughter ruin their own life or the life of other people. By having a child, you expose yourself to those possibilities and everything in between. So be prepared. Joel, our eldest, is three and a half. And it's already been quite a ride emotionally, let me tell you. Whenever I see signs of him Growing up with wisdom, treating people well, being kind and brave and generous, 
uh, a nursery school teacher telling us nice things about him at our very first parent-teacher consultation that we had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, then my heart beats a little bit faster with uh, joy. Of course it does. I'm his dad. But the opposite is also true at times. My heart feels the punch. Uh, whenever he gets selfish and I see him pushing another child or stealing a toy or uh, the very first time he said to my wife Tree, Mummy, I don't love you. Gosh, well, every, every child does that. They figure out how to put the words together and they get in a grump and they think, well, I'll say something that's going to hurt. Uh, and Tree tells me about how she very calmly said, well, that's a shame because I love you, all the while suppressing the lump in her throat. What a thing to be told by your little boy. And you sort of think, oh, I desperately hope that doesn't turn into something bigger. So those are just the tiny little bumps in the road that every parent experiences in the early years. How much more agonizing to be dumped or despised by your children when they're grown up. Parents and potential parents, don't be naive about this. The possibilities of joy and heartache are very much part of the job of bringing children into the world. Proverbs encourages us to be honest with our children about what's in our own heart. Uh, So have a look at 23.15. It is a heart-to-heart conversation. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Parents are not meant to have emotionless, superficial, pragmatic conversations with our children. They need to know that your heart is very much invested in in your relationship with them. You, You want them to care about your heart just as you care about theirs. By the way, if you are somebody who thinks back over your life and uh, you're aware that you've brought anguish to your parents and you've never really had that heart-to-heart conversation that could bring some joy back into their life, do it. Make that call. Say you're sorry. Express your love to them. Just do it. Before we move on from the, the emotional roller coaster that inevitably comes with parenthood, it's It's worth just pausing to remember what we have put God through as his children. We glance down at 28 verse 7. A man who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. And the next one, 29.3. A man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. I don't know if those verses, particularly that last one, remind you of anything. When Jesus told the story of of the prodigal son who squandered his father's wealth on prostitutes, pretty much exactly the same phrase is used as in that verse in Proverbs. That son in Jesus' story, Luke 15, despises his father to the point of demanding his inheritance as if his dad was dead, while his dad is still very much alive. And the father is depicted in that parable as distraught, staring down the road, longing for his son to return. And in other words, God has experienced the grief 
and the heartache and the bitterness described in Proverbs of bringing up children, you and me, who have walked away from him in rebellion. And wonderfully, he is ready at a moment's notice to come running to us as soon as we show signs of coming towards him. Any moment, any one of us can come home and he'll throw his arms around us with tears of delight. God knows more than any of us ever will the, the joys and the sorrows of parenthood. Parenting is an emotional roller coaster. Second observation, parenting involves instruction. Napoleon said, uh, let France have good mothers and she will have good sons. And uh, Freud said, I cannot think of any need in childhood as strong as the need for a father's protection. And uh, a few months back when we worked through the first nine chapters of Proverbs, uh, you might remember, we saw those, pro- those chapters are, are written as a father's instruction to his son. The instruction of a mother is also mentioned a number of times there. And at the end of the book, chapter 31, uh, is written as a, a mother's instruction to her son. So in a way, the whole book of, of Proverbs is framed, beginning to end, as parental instruction from both mother and father. And these one-line Proverbs that we're looking at at the moment and the rest of the book also underline the importance of parents instructing their children. The most famous one is 22 verse 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he will not turn from it. Your influence on children as a parent is the most significant factor in your child's future wisdom. Biblically, the instruction of parents is far more important for a child than the instruction of teachers, siblings, their peer group, what they pick up from the media, their church leaders, even their church youth group leaders, dare I say it. Uh, Even if all of those other influences are of top quality, if your instruction of children as a parent is unwise or or negligent or just not there, they're going to struggle. And the reverse is true. With good instructions from parents, A child can sometimes flourish despite the barrage of unhelpful influences from school and friends and media, even from school teachers and so on and so on. If parents train a a child wisely, it should, generally speaking, lead to that child living wisely. Is that guaranteed? (laughs) No. It's not guaranteed. These proverbs speak of probabilities, not guarantees. And 13.1 shows the exception to the rule. 13.1 says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. There is no assured, guaranteed way of bringing up a child to be well-adjusted and wise. Instructions can be unheeded. Rebukes can be ignored, as this verse says. That is the sad exception. It it can happen. It can happen to any parent. But it should be the exception. If you want your child to, to be wise in the biblical sense and to bring you joy rather than to be a fool that brings you grief, then take your responsibility as a parent to be the chief instructors of your children. Don't just contract out 
their instruction to others. Schools can be great, but you're in charge. You're in charge of the family and the instruction of of children. And this is not just about words, but about actions as well. So have a look at 20 verse 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. And 2011, even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. It's a fact of life. Children copy parents, scarily enough, for those of us who are parents. They don't just absorb our words, but our our tone of voice, our attitudes to things, our likes and our dislikes, the way we treat others, our values, our annoying mannerisms. Everything comes out in our children. So ask yourself some hard questions. Would I want my children to have my marriage? Would I want my children to have my work ethic? Or my attitude towards authority? Would I want them to to speak the way that I speak to people? To handle money the way that I handle money? To watch the programs that I watch? to, To see the websites that I see? To pray the way that I pray? Chances are they'll pick these things up from their parents, most of all. So with that in mind, what should be the very centre of our instruction of children? Well, have a look again at 23 verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Verse 17. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Christian parents will be convinced of that phrase, which is the strapline of the the book of Proverbs. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as the very first chapter of the book says. You can be educated in this life about a lot of stuff, but genuine, true biblical wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. Dads and mums, please take this seriously. Don't just leave it to Sunday school leaders because you're a more important influence in your children's life. Do you talk to your kids about Jesus? Have you got an age-appropriate Bible for them that you open with them and spend time in with them? There's resources on the bookshelf here for that if you want to see what's around. So if if you don't... Teach children, pass on children to, to children the fear of the Lord. They're not going to get it from school or TV or from their friends. Parenting involves instruction, beginning with the fear of the Lord. Third observation, parenting involves discipline. Gritted teeth as we uh, think this one through. Positive instruction, great, fine. Proverbs advocates more than that. 13.24 Uh, puts it very strongly. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Bad words there, bad words. Uh, The rod, discipline, what is this about? Uh, Words that get a a big boo hiss in our culture, and sometimes rightly so. Now I think in our culture we can probably safely take uh, the word rod as symbolic of minor discipline rather than a literal command, uh, although uh, there's a number of uh, Asian students 
uh, that I've chatted to who could tell you stories about the painful thwack of a, a feather duster back home, and that being a very regular part of family life. Um, now, there's an awful lot of agonizing in our culture about things like smacking. Do, do we, don't we, what, what should we do? And there's some European countries that have completely outlawed it. Uh, I wonder if Proverbs might suggest that outlawing that is not entirely wise. Uh, and discipline shouldn't be a dirty word. It's related to the word disciple. Uh, to follow, to obey, to be taught and corrected by somebody. So please don't read Proverbs and, and read into it anything sinister here. It's surrounded in the context of love, gentleness, faithfulness. Add in all of the topical studies we've had up to this point about those things uh, to make sure that discipline is never done in an inappropriate way. But Proverbs 13.24 puts it very strongly. Being careful to discipline is loving and never disciplining your child is tantamount to hating them. That is pretty strong, isn't it? That is very strong. Why is that the case? We'll glance down at 1918. Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Discipline, correction, whether it's verbal or whatever, uh, means there is hope for children. Lack of discipline implicates us in their troubles. Even their death, this verse suggests. This world is a, a very complicated, often very dangerous place with many possible pitfalls, many temptations. Do you remember that uh, game where, you, uh, where the kids play, where, where the kids are blindfolded and they, they have to make their way through an imaginary uh, minefield and at uh, one end, somebody's shouting instructions. Left a bit, right a bit, no, stop. No, 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 you're going the wrong way. You're going to hit a mine. Back, back a bit. If we let our children loose in this world without any discipline, without any correction, guidance that says, no, that is the wrong way, then we're putting them in terrible danger. If we just let them stray from safe paths and habits into potentially dangerous ones and say, oh, well, you know, it's up to them, they know their own mind, it's their life, who am I to interfere? You're the parent. It's neglectful to leave children to just fall into terrible, dangerous habits. It is loving to correct them. Don't be naive about children. Uh, 22 verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Children are not born innocent, no matter how much our culture likes to say such a thing. They're not. Little angels have one, and you'll find that out. They are mini versions of you and me. I'm not a big angel. Joel is not a little angel. Much parenting and educational theory these days is hopelessly, hopelessly naive because it refuses to acknowledge this. Sin is regarded as a, an outdated medieval concept and yet nobody's ever had to teach a child to lie. Nobody's ever had to teach a child to hit or to grab somebody's toy. Only God has a complete solution for our sin. It is a, 
a wonderful rescue package that involves Jesus going to, the de- to his death on the cross on our behalf for us. Don't be naive about sin. It's what the Bible is all about, rescue from sin. And within that, the discipline of children by parents is a crucial step to wake us up from the reality of sin in our life and in their lives and to keep us and our children from uh, straying into danger. Now again, even with discipline, there's no guarantee. 15 verse 5. A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. A perfect parent, lovingly, gently disciplining their child with total, utter love and appropriateness at every point, sometimes still doesn't guarantee a child going the right way, being wise. But, again, the likelihood is, 29 verse 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. 29 17, discipline your son and he will give you peace. He'll bring delight to your soul. So, parenting, the, the roller coaster, the instruction, the discipline. I tell you what, parenting is hard. Uh, at times you feel battered or naive or desperately aware of your own imperfections, the folly in your own heart as a parent, not just in your child's heart. Uh, you find yourself regularly looking back at situations and, and wondering if you handled it well or badly and just not knowing. Uh, or sometimes just regretting how you handle the situation. At Theological College, I had a a good friend who I I used to pray with regularly, and his prayer points would almost always have something about parenting his children. One week he'd be being driven crazy by them and be worried about his temper. Another week he'd be uh, worried about being too lax with them. The next week he'd be worried about being too strict. Just constantly concerned about doing a bad job as a dad and, and mucking up his kids. Of course, worried because he loved them so much. And I used to think, oh, come on, mate, relax a little bit. Uh, get a grip. Uh, it can't be as hard as you're making out. And now I understand. Um, so, parents, um, let's admit our, our weaknesses, our anxieties, our struggles. Andre mentioned in the notices we're, we're planning a parenting course here in church in September and October. It's there on your notice sheets. Do look out for that. Put that in the diary. We all need help with parenting. But also be encouraged. Uh, Hard times of parenting come and go. Mark Twain wrote, uh, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. (laughs) Things can change. Uh, You go through patches. But also, Much more wonderfully, look at 1426. Uh, It's in the the bottom half of Proverbs because we're going to use it uh, in both sections this morning. 1426. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. With all of our faults, our job as parents is to fear the Lord and encourage our children to fear the Lord. In other words, point to him as the perfect father. We can try to be like him as a parent, and we should try to be like him as a parent as much as we can, and he'll help us with that. But don't pretend that you are him. Be willing to say sorry to your children, uh, to have the heart to say, 
I'm sorry I get things wrong sometimes, but let me tell you about God. He is the perfect, perfect Father. He loves you and he'll never, ever get things wrong. And being his child is the best thing ever. So, uh, a briefer section now on wisdom for husbands and wives. I don't know if you're able to turn your ears towards me to blank out the sound of the drill outside, but do your best. Uh, sorry about the noise. Now, I, I hope you enjoyed those uh, proverbs as we read them out. They're incredibly colourful, aren't we? Uh, let's have a look at them from a couple of angles uh, about husbands and wives. Uh, first, about uh, before getting married, and then when you are married. Before getting married... Uh, First thing to say is, for goodness sake, don't marry for the wrong reasons. 11.22 Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. Brilliant. So you find someone attractive. That's nice. Uh, More than a hundred years ago, Oscar Wilde said, As long as a woman can look ten years younger than her own daughter, she's perfectly satisfied. That's pretty tragic when people think like that. And more and more in our culture, that is true. How tragic when people think like that. It is, of course, lovely and highly recommended to marry somebody that you fancy. That is good. Proverbs would recommend it. Go back and read chapter 5 if you're in any doubt about that. But looks alone must never, never, never be our reason for wanting to marry somebody. The image in this uh, proverb is of someone so mesmerized, fixated by the beauty of a ring, that they fail to notice that behind it there's an ugly, smelly, warty pig attached to the ring. Uh, This girl may be beautiful, but she's obnoxious, or she can't be trusted, or she's selfish and greedy. And, And look, those things are less obvious than physical beauty, aren't they? They can take much longer to discover in somebody. But ultimately, they are much, much more important. So look deep. Look at character. 12 verse 4 says this. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. You've got to look at the heart of somebody. That is what God looks at when he sees a person. Be impressed by noble character more than shapely, good-looking features. Imagine if you were to marry somebody mainly for looks. And then 20 years down the line, uh, maybe the looks are holding up, maybe they're not. But for all sorts of reasons, you feel like your bones are decaying as a result of the marriage. In the language of that verse, your wife is a disgrace to you, not a crown. And you suddenly realize that these verses have become your favorite ones in the Bible. 21 verse 9, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. 21 verse 19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. 27 verse 15, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Suddenly those verses hit home and you think, oh, what have I done? Perhaps as a woman you married a man for the wrong reasons. You didn't worry too much about his character. And then verse, uh, chapter 27 verse 8 becomes true. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a robin's nest uh, in the uh, the window box outside our front door, which is great. We heard the little 
uh, uh, chicks tweeting away, and we could see the adult robins dashing in and out, bringing, I guess, worms and all sorts to uh, give to the, the babies. I didn't know this, but I looked it up, and apparently for the first two or three days of the baby robin's life, uh, the male robin collects all the food, while the female one sits there keeping them nice and warm. And then for the rest of the fortnight that the baby robins are in the, the nest, uh, both mum and dad go foraging for food because one of them alone can't get enough. In other words, if the male robin strays from the nest and stops coming back with food, then the mother can't cope alone. And those little chicks are in terrible danger. Do your best not to marry a man like that, says Proverbs, or your life will be miserable. You want somebody with good character, as far as you can see. Someone you might be able to raise children with, and we've seen how complicated that can be. So if you are somebody who's not married but would like to be, then recognize first, as these proverbs say, finding a person of the right godly character is not a walk in the park. (laughs) 20 verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man, who can find? 31 verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. It is far better to remain single than to go into marriage that is doomed to failure from the outset because of the kind of person that you've shacked up with. Rather, trust God. Trust God. 18.22 He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. 19.14 Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but... A prudent wife is from the Lord. There's an awful lot about your life that you can't change, that you're not responsible for. You were just born into certain circumstances, dictated by your parents and so on. But choosing a marriage partner is something that you and I can take responsibility for under God. A good wife or husband is a gift from him, so trust him for that. Trust his decisions. Now this can be hard, but if you'd like to be married but aren't, do your best to to trust God now. Trust God that right now singleness is the best thing for you. Read 1 Corinthians 7 about singleness. Trust his timing, that if he wants to bring somebody good and appropriate and godly into your life, that he can do that and he will do that at the right time in his timing, if that is his will for you. Don't jump the gun by just clinging on to somebody inappropriate. And if you find a great wife or husband, thank God for them. They are his wonderful gift to you. That's the wisdom of Proverbs for those not yet married. What what, what can we say to those who are married? Well, after marriage, maintaining your character is far more important than maintaining your looks. In our society, looking after yourself tends to only refer to making sure your body's okay. That's a good thing to do. That's fine. But much more important than the state of your body is the state of your heart. Are you investing time in growing in your character, growing in godly wisdom as you read God's word, as you're shaped by the godly people around you in church? Much, much more than your looks. That will make you a good husband or wife. So maybe if you're married, take stock of your marriage right now. Are you 
character-wise, a crown to your husband or wife? Or do you spend a bit too much time making them feel like their bones are decaying? Uh, Are you somebody that tends towards the quarrelsome or ill-tempered nature so that, that a conversation with you too often makes them want to go and live on the roof or to find somewhere in the desert? Look, even the very best of marriages will go through times like that, but never let it stay that way. The Gospel, the Bible, gives us unique resources for marriage. Because Jesus died for us, we can love as we've been loved by him, forgive as we've been forgiven by him. Only time spent growing in your character, in God's word, will remind you of that gospel message that can transform our marriages so so listen to god and then come down off the roof come back from the desert uh, turn off the dripping tap in yourself uh, humble yourself say i'm sorry be reconciled and then move forward in in confidence jesus takes hopeless sinners like you and me like that prodigal son that came back having squandered his father's wealth and he doesn't leave us that way He clothes us with righteousness. He slowly transforms us to make us more and more and more like him, like Jesus himself. With Jesus in our lives, we can change whatever things are like right now. And if you do have a great marriage right now, marked by love and forgiveness, thank God for it. It's his very, very good gift to you. Let's finish again with 1426. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Whichever way you look at a family, parents, children, husbands, wives, extended spiritual family here in church, fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Nothing is better for your family than getting to know him better. Let's pray. Father, these are challenging verses, some of them very unsettling. And uh, here this morning, there'll be a, a whole range of different emotions that are unleashed by reading these verses. We pray that you'd help each one of us to take hold of Jesus and his grace to us, however these verses have made us feel. Father, for those of us that are left feeling guilty, please assure us of your forgiveness. Help us to move on and and grow in Christ. For those that are left feeling sad, with a sense of longing that is unfulfilled, help us to trust you, hard as that can sometimes be. For those of us with responsibilities that uh, intimidate us, that, that leave us sometimes struggling to sleep at night because of the the fear of the responsibility of being a parent or a husband or a wife, please help us to trust you, to look to you for all that we need. Please help each one of us this morning to, to fear you in the right sense, to love and respect you, to sit at your feet and learn from you, and that that would transform our family lives. In Jesus' name, amen.